G'day audience. Uh, this week we're going to talk all about buying and selling. So we're going to dive into when you should buy and when you should sell for both ETFs and for individual stocks. So start with buying. So when you're buying ETFs, you can essentially buy them whenever. A lot of people try and time when they should get into the market, but it's impossible to do. No one's got a crystal ball of the future. You don't know what the market's going to do. So you'd always rather be in the market than not. Because to get that compounding to work for you, you need to be in the market. And since ETFs essentially represent the entire market, they'll always go up in the long term. They might have, even if they do go down, it'll only be for a short period of time. So don't stress too much about timing your entry point. Just get in there and let it sort yourself out. Another common situation is you're just starting out and you've got a lump sum of money to invest in, which is you know, probably a significant portion of your life savings. And so you get really hesitant about the right time to get in because it's such a big chunk of money. If you're in this situation, which everyone is, just break this big lump sum into smaller pieces and invest it gradually over time. If you're astutely watching the market regularly, then look to buy your ETFs when the market's having a bad run, just like it did this past week when it fell 5%. But long term, if you're buying ETFs, you're going to be buying them every month or so, however your budget permits. And you're going to buy them regardless of what the overall market's doing. You just want to be buying them regularly. So you treat them like a bank account. One thing to note about that, though, is check the terms and conditions of your stock account to see how many withdrawals you can make. Because some have unlimited withdrawals. And by withdrawal, I mean you not only sell your shares, but you then take the money out of the stock account and back into your bank account. So just check the terms and conditions there. I know Interactive Brokers lets you withdraw money out of your stock account once a month, but anything more than that, they charge you a $20 withdrawal fee. But really, you shouldn't be withdrawing money out of your stock account more than once a month. And even if you do it, you shouldn't be doing it every single month. Another concern that some are having, including myself, is that the big tech stocks are quite expensive. And we saw this just this week when they all reported earnings and most of them fell by five plus percent because their stock prices were so high that they had these high expectations. And so when the company's results weren't good enough to meet those expectations, the stocks fell. That is the classic example of the risk in investing with expensive stocks. Just because you think Apple's going to be around forever or Google's going to be around forever doesn't necessarily make them a good investment. You have to buy them at the right price. So since these big tech companies compose such a big part of the overall market, 25%, some people are worried about investing into ETFs because of that reason, and that's a perfectly justified reason. But it's still only 25% of the overall market, and the next Apple or the next Google is buried somewhere in that market in the US right now. So when it comes to ETFs, what I'm trying to say is don't fret too much about timing, Ideally, you'll buy it when the market's had a bad week, like it did this past week. But at the end of the day, long term, you're going to be just buying the ETFs regularly anyway, regardless of what the market's doing. So don't put too much stress into it.
So that's buying ETFs. Buy them whenever. If you're paying attention regularly, buy them when the stock market's having a period of weakness like it did this past week and leave it at that. So now we're going to talk about buying individual stocks. First, I'm just going to run through the whole process for individual stocks briefly. So first, you find a stock that you know about. You either use its products or you know about them for some other reason. You then identify what its form of protection is from competition. That's the qualitative part done. Step one, done. You then start to dig into the numbers to value the company, right? This is step two. You go to the investor relations website and you open all their annual reports and you put the numbers into your own spreadsheet or you use the blank ones on my website. By the way, I've realized that one of the annoying things about the spreadsheet is it goes from 2008 to today. And so if you're looking at a company that hasn't been around since 2008, all the numbers are kind of useless. I've actually just uploaded a spreadsheet that's the exact same as my current one, but it has different starting years. So you can have one that starts in 08 to today, 2009 to today, 2010 to today, and it goes all the way to 2017 to today. So they're on my website. Anyway, so you got all the annual reports and you're putting all the numbers into the spreadsheet because we're doing the number crunching part. You then determine by the calculations that the spreadsheet will do for you, whether they're free cash flow positive or free cash flow negative. You then look at the year on year growth in their sales for each of the last five years, just to get a rough idea. These two bits of information will tell you what valuation method to use, whether they're free cash flow positive or negative, and their level of growth. On, on my website, under education, go to step-by-step -step guide to buying a stock. I've got all this laid out for you. You just go to that, follow the links, and it will tell you what valuation method is best. But remember, ideally, you want to just do the valuation. You want to use a bunch of different valuation methods, but going through those links on my website will tell you which one's best for the company that you're looking at. So once you've got a valuation method that you think is most suitable, you then value the company using that method. And that's step two done. And by step one, step two, you'll see it on my website. I explain what that is. Um, and then you need to tweak the numbers. So we need to apply a safety buffer, which is that margin of safety we talked about. We then need to add cash and subtract debt. And then we need to divide by the number of shares. And this step three will give you the eventual stock price that you have decided you want to buy the stock at. Again, it's all on the website. You, once you've done that, you should then do a little extra research into the company. Read their investor presentations, listen to the conference call, read The Motley Fool and Seeking Alpha, listen to YouTube, because doing this is going to give you extra insights into the company, which may have a pretty big impact on the numbers that you use. Maybe they've got a really valuable segment in there that you didn't really pay attention to, or maybe their results are abnormally depressed for some reason and you didn't pick up on that. And so you might find some really useful information, not always, but any extra little bit of information that is potentially crucial can have a big impact. So, and by going through all those resources, you usually start to find by the end of it, people are repeating themselves, which means that you've probably got all the main ideas. You then go back to your numbers, fine tweak them based on any new information you found on those other resources. And you've then got 
the stock price that you've calculated has got as much information in it as possible and that's what you're gunning for. Now, it's not concrete, okay? What I mean by that is you don't have to wait until the stock gets down to exactly what you've calculated, especially in the current market where everything's a little expensive because of low interest rates. So what I'm doing in today's environment is I'm buying a stock when it's somewhat close to may maximum 20% above what I've calculated. So if I value a stock at 10 bucks and it's at $12, I'm buying that stock. But again, this all depends on you and your personal risk tolerance and patience and how interested in this stock you are. Maybe you'll be willing to buy a stock 50% above what you calculated at just because you're really passionate about it. And that's fine. Just be aware that the higher the price you pay, the more downside risk there's going to be. All I'm trying to say here is that if you've analyzed a stock and you've calculated a stock price and it's currently trading pretty close to that, it's okay to buy it. Because remember, everything we've learned has been extremely conservative. Our whole approach has been very conservative. So if we get kind of close, that's probably good enough because whatever we calculate is likely to be quite below what the actual value of the company is. So you'll be fine. Another consideration when you're buying is how much you're buying. So when I first started out, and probably you guys are doing the same, is you're just putting a set amount of money into each stock idea you have. When I started, I was putting $500 into each stock idea I had, regardless of any other factors. Once you get more confident with it all, you'll ideally start to buy the stock in pieces as it gets gradually closer to what you've calculated. So let's say you value a stock at 10 bucks and it currently sits at $12 and you are willing to invest $1,000 into this stock. Instead of buying $1,000 of the stock at one single price, you actually wanna try and buy it in pieces. So if the stock's currently at $12 and you valued it at $10, you wanna buy, say, $500 of it, worth of it, at $12, and leave the other $500 you're willing to invest in it. By doing this, that means that if the stock never gets down to $10, okay, it stays at $12 and then it shoots up from there, then you haven't missed out on the gains in that stock because you invested 500 bucks in it. However, if the stock falls further, you still have $500 available to buy it at these lower prices. So by buying in pieces, you're kind of spreading your risk. And the more pieces you buy it in, ideally the better. But the factor you have to take in is the commission fees on your account. So if you're buying a US stock through Commonwealth Bank, then you're paying nearly $40 a trade. So if you're investing $500 in two pieces, that's going to cost you let's say $100 already, which is 10% of your entire investment, which is huge. Remember, 10% is what the stock market overall gives you over the last 100 years. So if you're paying 10% in fees, you've just lost an entire year's worth of investment. So you have, so that's that. Whereas if you buy $1,000 in one hit through this Commonwealth platform and you pay, say, $50, then that's only 5% of your overall investment, which is... Still not good, but not as bad as 10%. But if you're with interactive brokers, 
for example, then US trade costs you $2. So you don't really care about buying in small pieces because it's not costing you that much. So just keep aware of the commission fees for your account because that will determine whether it's a smart idea to buy in pieces or not. And then the fees in turn will depend on what market, whether you're buying Australian stocks or US stocks, whatever. So just, just factor it in and make sure it makes sense. So that's how you buy. Ideally, you buy in pieces starting from when a stock is near or below what you've calculated to be worth. Another thing you'll learn to do as you progress is you should start to invest more into your better ideas. Stocks that are more undervalued or have higher potential, you should be giving those stocks bigger investment amounts. And that will come with time. When I started out for the first couple of years, I was just putting a set amount to every stock idea. And then I started to get frustrated with myself being like, oh, why didn't I invest more in that idea? It was so obviously better than some of the other ones. And then you naturally will start to invest more in things you're more confident in and with bigger upside potential. So for example, let's say you look at two companies, X and Y. You calculate company X to be worth 10 bucks a share and it's currently at $5. You then calculate company Y to be worth $10 a share and it's currently sitting at $11. So in this situation, all else being equal, you should invest more into X than into Y because X has more upside potential because it's more undervalued, it's cheaper. Again, these things will come with time. This is something to think about. So that's buying. ETFs, buying pretty much whenever. Maybe wait for a little bit of market weakness, but if you're buying ETFs regularly every month, with your budgeting system, just buy it every month, regardless of what the market's doing. Don't be frozen by hesitation because then you'll never invest. If you're investing in ETFs with a big lump sum for the first time, buy it in pieces. Break the big lump sum into smaller pieces and buy it gradually over time. That way you won't feel as stressed. And ideally with ETFs, you wanna buy when the market's had a bit of a bad week or a bad couple of days, like we did this week, but to spot that, it requires you to be watching the market every day, which a lot of us don't want to do, so don't worry too much about it. Now, when we're buying individual stocks, we want to buy them when they're at or near what we've calculated them to be worth. Because remember, we're very conservative with our estimates. We use a safety buffer, which means that the true value of a company is likely going to be more than what we valued it at. So if a stock gets near or at what we valued it at, then it's likely that it's cheap and it would be a good idea to buy. And when you're buying, ideally you want to buy in pieces, but just keep an eye on those commission fees. So now we're on to selling. Now selling is actually so difficult. It's the one thing that in my time researching I've heard multiple different explanations for and multiple different approaches and there's no unison agreement it's not like buying where you buy when it's cheap selling you don't really know when to sell there's no hard and fast rule and everyone's got a different way of going about it so let's dive into that so obviously with ETFs you can sell these whenever um, because ETFs don't rise and fall significantly if you sell today instead of tomorrow, it's not going to make much of a difference at all. So pretty much sell your ETFs whenever. It won't matter. Now, individual stocks. And, and 
that ability to sell ETFs whenever is why it's a good idea to have your money in ETFs. And then as individual stock ideas come up, you can sell some of that ETF money to invest in individual stocks because the ETFs aren't going to fluctuate wildly. It's like you're going to miss out on anything. Now, for individual stocks, like I said, it's pretty hard and pretty uncertain to know the exact... You'll never get the exact perfect time to sell consistently. Ideally, you don't want to sell for a long period of time. Just let the stock do its thing. But there are some times when it's a good idea to sell early or to sell it all. So the first reason, and this is probably the most common reason I sell, is that you have a better idea elsewhere. So let's say you bought a stock on the cheap and then it's, you know, doubled in value and now it's no longer cheap. It's maybe fairly priced or even a little bit on the expensive side. Expensive side. Let's say you're a very studious investor <laughs> um, and so you're constantly analyzing different stocks and you find another stock and it's cheap, meaning that the stock is near or below what you've calculated its value to be worth. So you found a stock that's cheap, you found a new stock that's cheap and you're currently holding another stock that's gone up so much that it's no longer cheap. In this situation, it would be reasonable here to sell the stock that you own, that's had a good run up and is no longer cheap, sell that stock and use the money to buy the new stock that you found is cheap. And that's how the compounding works. So if you buy a stock and it doubles in value, and then you buy another stock and it doubles in value, you've just compounded 100% twice. And so that's how you get your compounding working with you with individuals with individual stocks. And the reason we're doing that in this situation is because the stock that you hold not because it's doubled in value. That's not why we're selling. We're not selling because we've got profits. We're selling because when you look at the company, it's not really cheap anymore. It's, you know, even a bit expensive. So there's not that much upside potential in that stock as opposed to this brand new stock, which is cheap and does have 100% gain potential. So when it comes to selling for this reason, it's all about weighing the upside potential and the downside risk. If you if one of your cheap stocks has now become expensive, it's got a lot of downside risk because it, it's more likely to come down than it is to keep going up. So it's all about weighing the upside potential and the downside risk. Every time you're... And that's why you want to regularly check your portfolio because every month you want to have a look and say, okay, are any of my stocks expensive? And you have to think of it through the lens of would I buy this stock now? Or is this stock got more upside potential than downside. And that's why you sell out of the things which have limited upside and you buy into new cheap stocks which have more upside potential. So that's a, a good reason to sell a stock. The only thing to factor in here is taxes. So the way taxes with stocks works is the tax doubles if you hold for less than a year. So as soon as you hold a stock for more than a year, the amount of tax you have to pay is cut in half. So you always want to hold a stock for at least a year unless you really need to sell. The next decent reason to sell is the stock has become expensive. So pretty much what we just said. So if you buy a stock for cheap and it has a big rise and it becomes expensive, you just need to ask yourself how much more upside potential is there? Because if a stock's expensive, it's usually got limited upside potential. 
and a lot of downside potential. And so we want to be away from those after we've made our gains. So another good reason to sell is that you notice that the company's products have deteriorated or they're being replaced by a new competitor. So how are you going to know that? Well, we're only going to be investing in things that we know and preferably use. So you should be right on the pulse for when a company is not doing as well as it did before. An example here is if you invest in Netflix, say, if you start noticing Netflix's content isn't that good, which can be subject, which can be a biased opinion, but you also notice that all your friends and stuff are moving off Netflix onto some new streaming service, that can be an indicator that maybe it's time to sell out of Netflix. Or let's say you've invested in a clothing brand and you notice that the brand is falling out of favor or they've had a bad release, then it's time to get out of that investment. And don't be scared of this because it often takes time for a company's deterioration to be noticed by Wall Street. So it's likely that you'll notice it before they do just because a company will report its results maybe three months after that they actually occurred. So if a company is reporting their results for the three months ended June 30, say, they're reporting those results three months later. And so you've theoretically got about six months to notice something's deteriorating before the Wall Street people who just look at the numbers will notice. So don't stress too much. But yes, if a company's deteriorating in quality or there's a new competitor, it's time to sell out. So those are the good reasons to sell. Um, one of your stocks that you hold has become expensive and you've or you found a new investment idea elsewhere that has more upside potential than something you currently own or the company's products are deteriorating. Those are three good reasons to sell. The bad reasons to sell are these. The first, the stock price falls. So let's say you buy a stock and it falls for some reason over the next couple of weeks or whatever. Do not succumb to your fear and panic sell. If you're really worried, try and Google for the reason why the stock fell. Motley Fool and Seeking Alpha are good for this. And read why the stock might have fallen and see if you agree with it. You need to differentiate whether it's some short-term issue or if the stock's falling for a reason that's fair, like the company's actually deteriorating. But most of the time when a stock falls, it's usually a short-term issue more often than not. Because remember, we've already invested in a company with protection from competition. So all the companies we're investing in are much less likely to be beaten by competition. Or even if their product is temporarily poorer because of their protection from competition, it means they can't just be copied by anyone anyway. So we just have to wait. So for example, imagine if Snapchat had a bad app update, right? People might start reducing their use of Snapchat, but no one can really copy, come out and copy Snapchat. So all Snapchat has to do is fix the app update and everything can go back to normal, which is exactly what happened two years ago. And that is because they have this protection from competition because of the network effects in their platform. And so they get time, they have the benefit of having time to fix things. So anyway, I was getting off track. Um, so yeah, if you buy a stock and it falls over the next few weeks or whatever, try and see if there's a reason for it. If you can't find a reason why, then it's probably just the market having some short-term view of things. And it's most of the time nothing. 
and ideally you'll invest even more at these lower stock prices. And this is why when we're talking about buying earlier, ideally you want to buy in pieces because especially when you're buying cheap stocks, these stocks have had significant stock price declines. And so when you're buying in, it's likely that that decline might continue for a little bit longer. So you want to buy in pieces so that you can buy once. And then if the stock price does fall a bit lower, you can buy more. And it makes sense because if you like to stock enough to buy it at $10, then if it falls down to $7, you should be even more excited to buy the stock. And that might sound obvious, but your emotional reaction when your stock falls will be to sell it, even though it's become cheaper. And this is what the professionals do. They panic sell. They sell when a stock falls and they buy when a stock rises. So they're buying when a stock becomes more expensive and selling when it becomes cheaper. All right, so try not to fall into this trap. We'll go into the emotional biases of investing later, but just be careful of that because it happens so often. It's very normal for a stock you buy to then fall by around 15% or even more for no reason at all. No news came out of the company. Nothing happened. The market just has got its short-term glasses on and the stock fell. It's happened to me plenty. So in these situations, just stick to your guns. It'll work out long-term. If you're really stressed, go back to your spreadsheet, do a bit more research, see if there's anything that you might've missed, but more often than not, you haven't. And the markets fluctuate quite a lot in the short term, but what we're focusing on is the long-term. Okay, so just to summarize selling, good reasons to sell. One of your stocks is now expensive, The next reason is you have a stock that has had decent gains and is fairly priced or expensive, but you've now found another new cheap stock with more upside potential. So you sell your old stock and buy this new cheaper one. And then the third reason that it's good to sell is you notice that the company's products are deteriorating. Bad reasons to sell is the stock price falls Stock prices fluctuate a whole lot, so don't be too fussed about that. And another reason not to sell is just because your stock price is right. So just because your stock has gone up 20% doesn't mean you should quickly take profits. Look at what your calculated value of the stock was, and only once it gets to at least that level should you even think about selling. Okay, so if you analyze a company and you go, all right, this stock is worth $20, and you bought it at 10 you should not think about selling that stock until at least $20. Because remember, we were very conservative in our calculations. So it's likely, so if you value the company to be worth 20, it's likely to be worth more than that. So if you're selling at 20, you're actually selling it at less than what it's worth. So just hold on. Don't just sell for any kind of stock price gain. You need to look at what you value the company to be worth and where the stock is at. So just before we wrap up this week, guys, I noticed a lot of people are having trouble with the whole multiples concept and where you get the multiple from. On my website under education, I've got a new page called multiples by industry. And there I tell you some recommended multiples for each industry and what's a cheap multiple, what's a moderate one, what's an expensive one. And if you use that as a guide, they're all very conservative. So if you use those you'll be fine. Um, 
because the whole picking the multiple thing it is a bit of an art, although we do know that we can get it from the company's history, the company's growth, and from similar companies. It's still a little bit more art than science. So if you use that page, so under education, multiples by industry, that'll give you some handy numbers to go off. And yeah, no worries. <laughs> All right, guys, so I'll see you next week. Bye.